let me say again thank you to your congregation, to you and uh, as a church for the support that you give to us financially, REF Louisville, and prayerfully. We appreciate it very much. Um, and I always look forward to uh, being able to come down here and tell you thank you and get to preach and gives me a chance to grab one of our students and jump in the car and come down here and uh, say that. I should turn to Matthew 13 and stop talking. Matthew 13, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 and then skipping down to 18 through 23. Let's give our attention to God's Word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises... On account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further this morning. Lord Jesus, these are your words to us, and we are grateful that you would speak, that you would reveal yourself, that you would teach us. And Jesus, as their author, we pray that even right now, here today that you would be their teacher, that by your Holy Spirit you would be with us, and that you would cause your word to do what it has promised that it will do. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stand-up comedians, uh, who has actually now passed away, is a man named Mitch Hedberg. I don't know if you're familiar with Mitch Hedberg, and I don't know that I could necessarily recommend to you all of his... Uh, it's comedy, but I heard him say one time, one of my favorite little uh, pieces that he did, uh, he said, I used to be in a death metal band. People either loved us or hated us or thought we were okay. <laughs> and that's funny because obviously, and 
I hope that's not descending to tell Let me tell you why that's funny. Put my finger in my water. Uh, that's funny because obviously those are the categories, right? Those are the possible reactions that you could have to somebody. You could love them. You could hate them. You expect it to be polarizing. They either loved us or hated us, but he introduces the or somewhere in the middle category. And I think in a, in a very strange way, but possibly helpful way, in a sense, that's what Jesus is doing for us in this parable. We're, last semester at RUF, we studied through the Gospel of Matthew, and we looked at the theme of Jesus as hero, as the great fulfillment of God's promises, of the promises of the one to come, and that Jesus is that hero. And if you're familiar with Matthew's Gospel, then you're familiar with its in one sense, it's basic structure. Most scholars agree that it has five main blocks of teaching uh, dispersed throughout it. And the tendency is that Matthew goes narrative and then discourse, narrative, discourse. And so, last time that I was with you, last uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we, saw, we saw narrative as to how Jesus was beginning to face opposition. Because people expected something different from Jesus than he was providing. And so here in this, we come to another discourse section, one of these big five blocks of teaching. It's what we call the parabolic discourse, because Jesus gives a bunch of parables on the kingdom. And so what we see is that Jesus, as our great hero, that one of the things that he's come to do is to, to teach us, to teach us about the kingdom. And with this one here in particular, the one we have before us, he's teaching us the different reactions, responses that people have to the kingdom of God. The different responses that people have to the word. He says that people are going to respond in in different ways, and he gives us four general categories. And so we're going to look at each one of those this morning. First, before we do that, I think it would be a good idea to... To basically rehearse the parable real quick. Basically, Jesus gives this picture of a sower who goes out to sow seed and he he scatters it around and the seed falls in various places. And based on where they fall, of course, uh, the seed returns a different yield. Uh, In the one, it lands on the path and it's snatched away. Uh, One, it lands in the rocky ground, it springs up a little bit and the sun gets it and it goes away. And another uh, lands in the... uh, in the same soil with thorns, and they grow up and choke it. And then in uh, another one, it lands in good soil, and it grows up and it produces and has fruit. And then Jesus tells us that, that the sower is God. and the, 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 Actually, that's not true. I don't know that he tells us that the sower is God. Uh, that uh, the seed is the word of God, rather. The word of the kingdom, as he says here in Matthew and Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 8, he says, the word of God. So I think it's important before we dive in to say, what exactly does that mean? What is this seed? What is the word of God? Well, it's the good news. It's ultimately the good news that Jesus Christ has come to buy back his people. That we all are sinners and we have gone astray and left our God, but that Jesus has showed up as the promised one, as our hero. And He's come to stand in the place of sinners so that we might be reconciled to our God. 
and be able to be with him forever. And so that's, this, that's the word of the kingdom, ultimately, that Jesus is the king and he's come back to save us. And so he does give us four general categories of people's heart response to the, to the message of, of his kingdom. So we're going to look at each one. First, what we see is the, the path, the seed that falls along the path, or we could say the hard heart. So you can imagine the dirt path that the sower and others have walked up and down so often that it's, it's just been packed down and packed down, and it's, it's probably hard as concrete almost. And then when the seed hits it, it probably even bounces a little bit. It's so hard. And in verse 19, Jesus tells us that this is the heart that hears the word of God, that hears this good news, and it doesn't understand it. It just, the word hits that heart and it just lays there, dead. And just like a bird might come and snatch that seed up and eat it, so Satan comes and snatches the word away so that it won't stay there. So who is this person? What does this person look like? Well, this is the person that hears the good news of the gospel and it doesn't really even make a dent. It's the person that hears talk about sin and hell they hear words like grace and repentance. And they think, they think it's dumb. Or at best they think that it's, they're indifferent. It's not for them. It's not something they need. It's a, it's a waste of time. They probably wouldn't tell you it's a waste of time for you, but it, at least for them it is. And so it doesn't make sense to them. But I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is that it doesn't necessarily mean that this person... Is a, is a morally, is morally bereft. Is someone that you would look at and think, you know, make sure you keep your kids away from that guy or that girl. In fact, it might well be the opposite. That the hard heart might look like somebody that has a very put together life, a very moral life. It might be the person that you look at and think, she is a great girl. In fact, that might actually probably be the case because this is somebody that has heard the good news and just doesn't need it because they probably see their life as, as pretty well put together. Doesn't need salvation. Doesn't see themselves particularly as a sinner. They would probably say, well, you know, of course I don't do everything perfectly. But not much beyond that. And it's because their heart is hard. For whatever reason. So we see the hard heart. That one's pretty obvious and pretty easy. And may not, in one sense, weigh on us too heavily. But I think the next two will. Let's take a look at the second uh, response that Jesus tells us about. It's the rocky ground. Or what I think we could call the superficial heart. I think this one hits a little closer to home for us all, possibly. Verse 5 tells us that this seed, it shoots up quickly because the soil is, is, is shallow and it's scorched by the sun and so it withers away pretty quickly. And so and then Jesus tells us, he explains to us in verse 20, that this is the person that actually hears the word of God and, and it actually makes a difference. It actually has some sort of impact. Their spiritual life seems to spring up pretty quick, but it disappears just as quickly. 
And why is that? Well, verse 21 tells that it's because of some sort of tribulation or persecution on account of the word. And it's almost instantly killed. It's kind of a, a scary picture if you think about it. Something that seems very much alive as far as all outward appearances, and yet it's cut down in an instant. It makes me think of, uh, I think it was the crocodile hunter. It was one of the guys like that. You know, there's scads of them now. But I was watching one of those shows on Discovery uh, or History Channel, whatever, and the guy comes across what he called a two-step snake. And he goes on to explain that the reason it's called a two-step snake is that if that thing bites you, you take two steps and then you keel over dead. Pretty, pretty powerful. It kills you that fast. So you go from being perfectly fine to dead almost before you even know it. And Jesus says that one kind of response to the word is like that. All right, so what is it? What does this person look like? Uh, it's basically when something arises in life and all of a sudden life is not going well. Life is hard for whatever reason. And things get hard, and, and this person begins to view the gospel basically as another program that just didn't work. As another means of managing life that they tried to employ that, just like all the others, seems to come up empty, and so they get rid of it. You know, it might look like the person that goes on the retreat or the conference uh, to the revival, whatever, and they hear the message and they sign the card, or they walk down front, they make some sort of commitment. They hear about Jesus and who He is, and it, it makes a change in their life. And so when they go home, they, they stop, you know, they get about the business of the Christian life, supposedly, right? They, they stop doing the bad things they know they should stop doing. They, they try to love people, they try to give money away, they try to start going to good things like church and Bible study makes an impact. But then something happens. Something very real happens. Maybe their, their parents get divorced. Maybe it's you that gets divorced. Or somebody that you care about dies. Or you lose your job. Or you get broken up with. Or maybe you get made fun of. Or face some sort of persecution for your new faith. And for whatever the reason is, it just gets, it gets dropped because it didn't work. I think it's what's, uh, in, in some ways, if you have this bumper sticker, don't worry about it. But in some ways, it's what's behind a lot of the bumper sticker stuff like, uh, you know, got God, question mark, like got milk. Um, and the idea is that you should, you should try Jesus. That really Jesus is just some sort of program to help make life manageable for you. And if that's the case, then you're bound for disappointment and you're, you're bound to wither away. So is the gospel just something that we like? Because it seems, at least for a time, to, to help make life work for us. The third response that Jesus gives, a possible response to the word of God, is that of the thorny ground. Or we could call this one the, the distracted heart. We just had the superficial heart, and this is the distracted heart. So this is the seed that falls in, 
in Seoul that seems to be fairly good, but it also has thorns in with it. And so the two grow up together. And as they grow up, the thorns choke out the plant, the good plant. And so again, in some ways, this seems very similar to the one that we just talked about, right? Um, there, there seems to be actual spiritual life here. The plant grows up for a time. It does the Christian thing on the outside. But the difference is what kills it and how it dies. So let's take a look at that. In verse 22, Jesus explains to us that this is the person that falls away because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. So again, this is the person that, that seems to have it all together. You know, they probably know the Christian lingo and the, the buzzwords. They might really know their theology. Might be teaching Bible studies. By all accounts, their life looks like it should. They have a great reputation. And they, I guess you could say, they, they keep up with the Joneses, spiritually speaking, pretty well. But the problem comes because this person actually likes to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, in, in every regard. In every facet of life. And so they do the whole Christian thing on the one hand, but on the other, they're too preoccupied with everything else that the world has to offer. So they love the good things of this world just as much. Just as much as they love Jesus and his gospel, and so they try to balance it. And so they... You know, maybe it's just that you just can't get past the worries that you have of, are you going to have enough money to make sure that you'll be able to take care of everything that might come up in the future? There are probably things in this person's life that you just, you just have to have. You have to have one more party. You have to have one more round of golf. You have to have one more gadget. You have to have one more Whatever. You have to have the coolest car. You have to have your kids in the right school. It's the person that takes anything. These things, which if we look back at all these things are good things. But it's when we take those things and we make them ultimate things. Things that we have to have to be okay. Luke 8, in his account of this, refers to it as the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Good things that we make ultimate things. But here's the really scary part, probably for us. The really scary part is how it dies. All right, so the image is that of thorns growing up around a plant and choking it out. So how does it die? It dies very slowly. It's not like the two-step snake. You get bit by the snake, it's done. It's not like that at all. It's slowly choked out. I'm going to stay with the snake theme for this illustration. I think you'd appreciate it. So I heard a story years ago about a guy that, that bought a pet boa constrictor, and you already know that this is going to end poorly. <laughs> and so when he got it, it was little. And that thing would wrap around a finger and put its head, you know, on his hand. As it grew over time, it, would, it could wrap around his whole hand and would put, his, put its head in, his, in the palm of his hand. And then it, 
you know, over time gets bigger and it would wrap around his arm and lay his head right there. And then eventually it could wrap around parts of his body. And then eventually, and again, apparently this is a true story, then eventually he just didn't show up for work one day to go only to find out, of course, that he had been killed by his pet boa constrictor. It killed him because he didn't take the proper precautions, which I think would begin with, you know, things like, oh, say, never owning a snake that, that big. <laughs> but if you're into that, that's fine. But it, on the one hand, it, make, it, sound, it sounds so dumb, right? You, you think, like, how could you, how could you let that happen? But if you think about it, it, as strange as it is, it might begin to make more sense. Because when you get it, you know, 15 years ago and it can wrap around your finger, what's the harm? None. And it doesn't, it doesn't just all of a sudden get that big. You know, on Monday it's, you know, six inches long. It's not like you come back on Tuesday and it's three feet long. You can't see it grow. It's slow. And so you don't think it's going to kill you on Monday. It can't. On Tuesday, it sure can't. And Wednesday. And the next thing you know, though, it's 15 years later. And it chokes you out. And that's why I think this one in particular would probably hit home and be, could potentially be very scary for us. Because there's no big event that swoops in and takes this person out. It's just slow and gradual. It's the daily pressure of being distracted by the cares of the world. The deceitfulness of wealth. And I think by virtue of the very fact that we're sitting, standing in this room, because we live in America, that's us. We're wealthy. Certainly some wealthier than others. But in the grand scheme of things, that's us. And money and wealth is very deceptive. Why is it deceptive? Because it it lulls you to sleep, I guess you could say. It begins to make you think that you can take care of what you need to take care of. That you can rely on yourself. Or at least if I get it, then I will be able to rely on myself more. And so what it does is it slowly over time makes our hearts less receptive to the good news. Because why do we need good news? If we have money, or if we can just get it, then we'll be, we'll be happy. We'll be fine. We'll be able to take care of what we need to take care of. But it's slow. We were talking in the car on the way here about how greed is, is the one thing that nobody thinks they have. You can get people to admit to lots of things, right? You know, I, I'm an alcoholic. I am addicted to pornography. I am a liar. I am this and that. But you just don't really hear many people say, I'm, I'm greedy. Because there's always somebody else you can look at and say, I mean, look at that guy. I, am, I live on this amount of money. How can that be greedy? It's slow and it's scary. Finally, let's look at the, the good soul, the receptive heart, we could say. The last soul or possible response to the kingdom, and ulti- I think I should say here, there's ultimately only two responses to the kingdom, right? Don't, don't let me mix my metaphors so as to be confusing. Um, Ultimately, you end up in one of two, two camps, uh, like Psalm 1 tells us. Uh, there's the path of the wicked and the path of the righteous. But we have different, uh, different responses unto those ends, I guess you could say. So. so Jesus tells us about the seed that fell on the good soil. 
And this is a picture of a plant that gets uh, of seed that falls into good, healthy soil, and it grows up over time, and it's a, it's a good, strong plant, and it produces a lot of fruit. All right, so what is the good soil? Well, it's the heart, as we said, that's receptive to the word of God, to the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom begins with Jesus calling us to repentance. You know, Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so I think it's important to say, to think about what the good soil is not. I think we often, we might tend to default to thinking of the good soil, i.e. the the good Christians, are the ones that are receptive to the word of God, to the word of the kingdom, that would sound like this. You need to repent because you've broken the rules. You've done what you shouldn't do. And so let me remind you of the rules. Here they are. Don't forget, you're not supposed to, whatever. So that you can understand them and keep them and not break them again. And so now go get it right this time. Right? That's what I think we might default to thinking. That's what a a good soiled person looks like. But I want want you to, I hope that you see that that that's actually not good news at all. It's a wrong understanding of repentance and and a wrong understanding of the heart of the gospel and the kingdom itself. Instead, I think we need to see that the good soil, the good soil, it bears fruit, it grows up to maturity because it's receptive to the word. Why is it receptive to the word? Because it desperately needs it. It needs it. It's receptive. The word of the kingdom, remember what we said at the beginning, it's the truth that that God's rule and reign is coming, is here and is coming to this world, and that we deserve his wrath because of our sin, and yet God loves us so much that he's making a way for us to come to him. And so the only ones that are receptive to news like that are people that know that they're messed up, that their lives are a wreck. The sin just runs rampant. I can't do anything about it. I don't have any other recourse. It's a person that understands that their hearts are selfish, that they're bent, that I'm bent on myself, that my motives are always twisted and mixed at best. That my actions are evil. It's a person that believes that, hears the word of Jesus in his kingdom to repent, and hears that as a beautiful thing. I'm going to get a chance to do a seminar, uh, Lord willing, at our spring conference for RUF. We offer a handful of seminars Saturday morning, and I'm going to do one on repentance. And the basic gist is going to be that repentance is actually a good thing. It's not something that we... We probably tend to think about something that we, we do as little as possible. It's bitter. It's not a lot of fun. But you do it like taking medicine. You know, it's good for you. But it's actually a sweet, beautiful thing. Because we get to, we get to crawl back into the lap of our Savior, so to speak. We get to go back home and say, I, I just blew it again. I blow it all the time. It should be the natural posture of us as Christians. Repentance. 
And if your heart's been grabbed by that kind of forgiveness, by that kind of acceptance, then your life will necessarily bear fruit. Because you got it for free. If you really did get it for free, then you're going to give it out in spades. But if it's something that you feel like you you had to chip in a little for, or maybe a lot for, you, you know, yeah, Jesus is great and everything, but you still got to tow the rope, come on. Then it's not going to be something that you give out to people very much. And when you do give it out, it's not going to, it's not going to smell right. It's not going to taste right. Verse 23 says, He indeed, or of course, bears fruit. Because the new heart has seen the depth of its need and seen that need met in Jesus. All right, so let me end with this. Hopefully, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but this parable really serves like a, a mirror for us to look at our own hearts and examine our own hearts. Think about where we... How are we responding? So what if you find your heart this morning to be like one of the first three? What then? What if you find your heart to be hard? Or maybe just superficial? Or maybe distracted? So what do we see? What if when you look in that mirror you don't like what you see? Because you might think this. You might think... I see that about myself, but I can't do anything about it. I can't change my heart. I've tried a thousand times. I've tried a thousand times to to buckle down and and change my heart. And the good news actually would come to you and say, sort of ironically, you're right. You can't change your heart. But the good news is that God can and does. God has talked about what's going on here in the hearts of of people a long time before this passage. I want you to I want to basically end with Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel, right? When's the last time you read through Ezekiel? It's beautiful. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. This is God speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your unclean, uncleannesses, uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What a beautiful thing that God says, no, you can't change your heart. But you know what? I can change your heart and I will change your heart. I will take out that hard heart and I will put in one that's soft. So where is your heart? Is it hard? Is it a well-worn path? Is it hard as concrete? Or is it in love with a lot of things and won't love it back? Then I invite you this morning, wherever you find your heart, even if it's in good soul, to come Come to the God that gives new hearts. Let Him make you and remake you. Come and hear the good news because you get to come for free. And that's good news for us this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, that is great news. Forgive us for how we 
tend in some ways not to believe it. Because it might sound too good to be true. Father, give us the grace this morning, though it might be painful, to cause us to take a true and honest look at our, our own hearts. And only by the beauty of your grace would we be able to look honestly at what's there. Because if we're honest, we see, we see blackness and darkness. But you, because of your good news for us, say you can make it right. And you do make it right. Father, I pray that that would be true of all of us in this room today. And if it's not, would you please make it so? So that we might all bear fruit for you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.